My guest today on the Time with Fred podcast has overcome homelessness, alcohol dependency, trauma, PTSD, and MDD in a whirlwind of events to be the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction treatment world. But before he succumbed to addiction and mental health issues, he played bass guitar at the Abbey Studio with Queen, David Bowie, and Elton John. He's an accomplished musician, and the money he made helped him attend Oxford University to pursue a PhD in psychology. He experienced a spiritual awakening on the cold streets of Manchester while homeless and in bad streets, and is here to tell his powerful story. This is a Time with Fred podcast. It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's Time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. My guest today is Dr. Kelly he hails from Manchester, United Kingdom. He lives in San Antonio, Texas, and is here to tell his powerful story. This is one podcast you don't want to miss. Dr. Kelly, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you, Fred. Absolutely amazed. Uh, it's just good to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. So, Dr. Kelly, first question I have for you, really, is how, how does an accomplished musician who's played for some of the prominent music icons, you know, like uh, Elton John, David Bowie and Queen, end up homeless? That's a great question. And uh, to answer that, you'd have to know something about addiction, or in my case, alcoholism, because uh, it's what I study today. It's, it's, a, it's a misunderstood disease. Um, and it's kind of still a dirty disease. It was definitely one in my day. So nobody had any answers. So what happened is I got sicker and sicker as, as the years went by. And then my addiction took me to all sorts of sordid places with sordid actions, uh, especially in the house, um, that were just crazy. It, I was insane. You know, that if you suffer from chronic alcoholism, it's pure insanity because what we do is just doesn't, bear witness to life itself. So you find yourself without you knowing, because the definition of insanity is not being able to see your own truth. So without me knowing, spiraling down this illness, uh, and nobody has any answers. They, they just said, hey, there's this thing called AA, go to there, and eventually took a grip of me, and uh, I lost everything and was and was homeless for 14 months. Wow. Were there... Were there um... Were there any uh, triggers? How did it start for you? Because for a lot of people, Dr. Kelly, you know, it's just the, you know, they start as occasional tipplers, you know, a glass here and there, and then one leads to the other. And before they know it, they're, they're in deep, right? How, how did it start for you? Well, alcoholism is a predisposition. So you pass down from generations to generations. Now, it may skip a generation, but if you have alcoholism in the family, beware. Uh, so I'm born this way. Uh, with a predisposition, I have a biochemical reaction to uh, ethanol in the alcohol. So when I drink, I can't stop. Now, when I started drinking at the age of nine on stage with my musical family, I had no idea that was happening. So it takes its toll over years and years until you can't stop. Now, drug addiction is slightly different. It's not a gene passed down as such, but you have the addictive brain. You're always trying to better yourself. You're trying to succeed in life, accomplish things. But what happens is you get drawn in for whatever reason. And with heroin addicts, it's usually the doctor's office where they've gone for pain just innocently. And it gets worse and worse. Then you become accustomed. Then you become addicted. 
So once the alcoholic and the drug addict are at that certain point, they both present the same. The, the, the uh, symptoms are exactly the same. Was we don't know how to stop. Uh, we can't stop. Uh, if we get help, it very rarely works. Treatment centers are at three to five percent success rate. So you you go in multiple times. And the studies that we've done opens up this, this addiction world to my brain or the hypothalamus, the part of my brain, at certain points tells me to drink. So when my brain tells me to drink, I have no choice. Now, the hypothalamus is a very interesting part of the brain. It's a fight or flight part for normal people. So what it will tell normal people is to eat food and drink water to survive. That's why we never have to teach a baby it's hungry because it has its, it puts his hand down its mouth. So the baby already knows that he needs food. With, with the alcoholic, um, it tells me to drink alcohol. So if that's my natural basic instinct, what else am I going to do but drink alcohol? And you can fight this just like you fight an important decision. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? And you fight with that decision until you come up with a solution after research with alcoholism, it's not the case. The first, the end, the last um, is always the same. So when the hypothalamus tells us to drink, our central nervous system and behavior starts to change maybe a week before we actually drink. And then by the time it gets to the prefrontal cortex, we drink. Now, the prefrontal cortex has one job in the world, and it's very good at it. It comes up with a solution to my problem as fast as possible. So in my case, it's drink alcohol. And that's how we how we get to a point where, for me, there was no return. Wow, wow! And, and for a lot of people who drink, they they assume um, wrongly, I might add, that this is just something. This is just my life, right? And and I'll, I'll do whatever I want. Um, in your case, not only did this affect your or did this impact just your life, right? It had family impacts, and, and there's a powerful story behind that. You might you mind sharing a little bit of that? So I think it's important for. <laughs> For, for, for listeners to understand that it, you may think you're doing something to yourself, whatever, you know, behave, behavior that is, but it has downstream impacts, right? There's family impacts, there the impacts your kids, your generations, and, and even your, your, your community at large. I get patients today and they go, well, I'm only harming myself. That is not the case. Now, if you're a heavy drinker or abuser of alcohol, you can get that under control and, and, and you can have a great life. If you drink successfully, God bless you. I wish I could. Uh, go ahead and join. But if you crossed uh, the line where you kind of can't stop drinking and every time you you start, um, you just think you're feeling yourself or not harming anybody, you'll harm your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your kids, your mom and dad, everybody. Because this, this was one of my researches as well. There's nobody in the world that's researched alcoholism and addiction as well as I have. So, And the reason why I did it, because it tore my family apart, I still not see my youngest daughter, all these horrible things that I did. So what happens is when you suffer from alcoholism, it's like a contagious disease. I infected everybody I came into contact with. So we find out years later that my mom, when I was homeless, every time she heard a siren, she was hoping it was the police to tell them that um, I was dead. And and the reason why I well, said, so, wow, that's what no, the reason why is she'd been she'd been awake for 12 months worrying and fretting about me every single night. So she just wanted it to end. So and of course, brother and sister, <clears throat> wife saw me dying on a daily basis to self-sabotage, because that's why I have 
self-sabotaging brain. Uh, so she's watching her husband die on a daily basis and then the children. So the shouting and sometimes violence in blackouts. I'm not a violent guy as such, though I will attack if you threaten me or, or my family. But as a, as a whole, I'm not. But, you know, you wake up and, the, and my wife's got a black eye in the morning and she tells me I did it. You know, even though I would probably pass a lie detector saying I didn't because I was in blackout. Um, that's just how it goes. So if you think you're only harming yourself, you are wrong. You are very wrong. You have loved ones around you who are also suffering from the disease <clears throat> because everybody thinks the disease is drinking too much alcohol. Ask anybody. Hey, Jimmy, what's an alcoholic? Oh, somebody who can't stop drinking or drinks too much alcohol. Or Yeah, that's not the case. <clears throat> alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism. It's just part of the disease. It's a bit like my spots to my chicken pots. Everyone says, see, you've got chicken pots. Well, how do you know? I can see the spots all over you. Actually, that's just a symptom. What I actually have is a viral infection that can kill me as an adult. It's the same thing with alcoholism. You see the bottles. What I have is an internal biochemical disease that's trying to kill me on a daily basis, uh, <clears throat> and I don't have any power over it. So that bottle could be easy, anything else, because I have that kind of brain. It just happens that I stumbled upon alcohol, and the devastation started. Now, I can spot an alcoholic who has never taken alcohol ever. They're the guys running Google and Apple. Let me tell you, them kind of guys, because the fascinating, most intelligent brain I know is the predisposition addictive brain, because we can achieve anything. And I mean anything, which we'll go into shortly, because people say all the time, well, I can't, I can't do this and I can't do that. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. For those people who say it's impossible, please use, please use the, uh, the senses, I'm possible. So the apostrophe needs to happen between I and M, then space, then possible. It's not impossible. I'm possible. I can do anything I want. And, and that was a perfect segue there because you talked about, you know, going down. And in your case, how did you, how did you get out of that? Right. And it's, you know, for a lot of people I've seen, I've seen those wreck relationships and, and people have died out of it. And some people think there is really no, no way out to have things like AA and things like that, which, which they join. But how, what are some of the practical ways? And in your case, Dr. Kelly, how, how did you overcome that? Addiction? Well, mine was a, a quite of a unique to the general public, but not unique in my industry and diseases. I spent 14 months on the streets begging uh, and all sorts of crazy stuff you can imagine from a millionaire to a homeless person is quite a drop. Um, so after 14 months, I, I dropped down to my hands and knees one night in the, in the back streets of Manchester, United Kingdom, and started to cry from my belly. And, and the reason I was crying from my belly is not because I'd lost my kids, my wife, my houses, cars, money, is the realization I couldn't stop drinking. It took all that for me. Now for me, I looked up to the sky as an atheist and I just let it go. And I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. Mm. And wow, 20, 30, 40 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner, missed his last bus home from the Bible study. So he'd been walking for an hour and came across me in the middle of nowhere and asked, do I want help? And I said, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I need help. And he said, so am I. I'm in recovery and I'm a Christian and I'm going to take you back to the house. And my journey started there. Wow. 
So, so there is a spiritual component, right? hundred percent. Wow. hundred. And he goes deeper than that. The guy, he, he, said, he said to me, he said, you can stay for as long as you want, but you need to go to AA meetings. And I'm like, oh, no, I've been to those meetings. They're horrible. And that's so he, he took me one next day and I met this guy called John who announced himself as a recovered alcoholic and um, <clears throat> it gets weirder. So I asked him to sponsor me and he said, no, but I will be a spiritual advisor for 12 weeks. And I kind of, I've never heard that before. Every Wednesday I went to his house. I walked an, an hour there. We, we studied a book and up for an hour and then I walked an hour back. <clears throat> and the final two days I was there, I did my 12 steps. And he told me, he said, life will change from tomorrow. Rob, it really will. And I said, it's impossible. I mean, this guy's basement, Nobody knows I'm there. I have no contacts, no money, no friends. Uh, but he said, yeah, you, and, he'll, and, he, and God will take you around the world. And I couldn't stop laughing, but eventually I walked home. But I felt different, Fred. I walked different, and I felt different. The next day, I was offered a part-time job. And a, and a week later, it turned into a full-time job. Two weeks after that, somebody gave me a little mini car to get to work and back. So after three weeks of working, I got my first paycheck. I went to the gas station, and I bought him a little teddy bear. And a card. And I said, thank you, John, for introducing me, you know, all this stuff. And I walked back to his house. I got there. There was nobody there. I was banging that loud on the door. The right-hand lady come out of the right-hand uh, apartment. She says, can I help you? And I said, can you tell me where John's moved to? It doesn't look as he's been lived in. And she said, John, there's been nobody there for at least five months that I know of, six months. Wow. And when she went, I knocked on the left-hand door. And he, the guy comes to the door. And I said, can you tell me where John's relocated to? And he said, John. And I'm like, what's this? Yeah, the guy next door that I've been coming for 12 weeks. And he said this to me, Freddie. He said, that apartment has been derelict. It's dangerous to go in. Nobody's been there for 12 months. So I was bemused, but I went back to the meeting that I met him in some 14, 15 weeks ago. And I saw the chairman. He was chairing that night. And it says, do you have any idea where, where, does John still come in? He's like, John. I'm like, what? Again? Yeah, John, the white hair, white beard. Nice clothes, spoke about the book, said he was recovered. I was over near the coffee machine talking to him. And the guy said, Rob, you were over near the coffee machine speaking to yourself. Never found that, man. So he gets weird. I mean, I've got a million stories like that. But yeah. touched by an angel, Dr. Kelly. <laughs> truly believe. Truly believe. Now I do. At the time, I wouldn't say anything. I was embarrassed. You know, it was just, but I have, I have no, there's loads of, I mean, I've got cancer of the esophagus. They took me into operate. They call, the doctors called my parents back in the UK and told them that when they take me down, there's very little chance of me coming back to the ward again. And they told them that, and my parents were devastated. When they took me for one more x-ray before surgery, they x-rayed my esophagus and the cancer wasn't there. And they were scared I was going to sue them because they had told my parents, the doctor, you know, it's just, I, I have no choice but to go in. I'm on a spiritual journey and God's looking after me. And oh, that's, absolutely. That's the only explanation. Absolutely. I mean, I can relate. I, I couldn't agree with you more at all. Um, so, Dr. Kilt, was this all before or after you attended Oxford University? That was after. I went, I went, my schooling was okay. I didn't have the best grades in the world. I joined the Freemasons very early in life because I was a friend of a friend and he was looking for an organist for two years, couldn't find one, so he brought me in about a year under, two years under the age that he's supposed to be. And through that, I had contacts at Oxford. And after I spent, then I started at Abbey Road. And then I had the money um, to put myself through. And I kind of got in through the back door. I don't mind telling everybody. So yeah, and then came after that. I was a police officer for about seven months. And I got fired from there for being drunk every day. 
now alcoholism had taken its part. And uh, then I decided to get married because, hey, getting married will solve my drink problem, right? So I got married. I started a telecom company way before phones came out. I was building networks for the Army and Navy and uh, still drinking. Decided to have my first child. Uh, swore on a Bible and to my wife, I'd never drink again. Uh, and two hours later, I'm drunk. So second child came along, took two Bibles to the, to the hospital. When the second was born, I held her, kissed her, put back to mommy. I put two hands on the Bible, one hand each, and I said, I swear to God, to you and to two children, I never drink again. Six hours later, I was drunk. So you can see how this disease didn't give me a choice because if you'd have put me in a lie detector test spread right there and then with the Bibles, I would have passed because in my whole being, I wasn't going to drink. So that craziness <clears throat> kept going in the house until we were about one and three. And she left. Um, I'm not going to tell you what happened because of your audience, but something happened inside the house that I had to flee to Spain. When I come back, she left with the kids. I got them back the next day from my attorney. And I walked into the kitchen and I opened a beer to celebrate my kids coming back. Three days later, when the police kicked the door down, uh, the children not been fed or changed diapers for two days. And they took them off me. And three things my eldest daughter said to me, she said, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. As Mommy and the authorities and the police were guiding them down the park and she's holding Mommy's hand. And she turned around again and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And as she got to the gate, she turned around one final time and said, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. <clears throat> so six, seven, eight months after that, I was homeless. What does that do, uh, Dr. Kelly, for to the emotions and to the psyche of, of a person who have been there, you know, made all the money, made all the millions, let the life, went to Oxford and then who finds themselves homeless. How, how does that, what does that do to yourself? What does that do to your psyche and your emotions? A psyche and psychological state and being as a whole, as a human being, was devastated. So I drank more to, to, to hide the pain. And I carried that pain and trauma uh, through my 20s, <coughs> uh, 30s and 40s and 50s, to be honest. The, the big, big trauma. <coughs> I've never seen my youngest girl since at the age of one. Um, She's now 25, 26. I can't remember how old she is. Probably older than that. But uh, yeah, devastation and uh, less than, unworthy, failure, all these things uh, I carried around for a long time. <clears throat> but two or three years ago, I, I was in the middle of the night and my phone picked. Now, obviously, I'm a constantly aged doctor. So I'm 24 hour care for, you know, like four to six patients, I saw. So I grabbed my phone, it was my daughter called Charlie, we call her Charlie, and then Charlotte uh, from England. And it was like nine o'clock her time, a.m. It was 3 a.m. my time. And I blurredly looked at it because I didn't have my glasses on. And I got my glasses on and I woke my wife up and we looked at it and he said, Dad, sorry, his dad, um, never been called dad before, you know, uh, well, for a long, long time. So he said, Dad, I want to see you. You know, I've got a surprise for you. Can you come over? So we did. Next red eye went over. I met her for the first time in so many years. We hugged. We, I was so nervous, Fred. And she, apparently she was nervous. And we reunited. And then, because this was all God looking after me. And then we, she walked me into her living room. And then she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. And if God had decided 
to take me from there, I was happy. Because that's all I wanted, yes. you know? And, and But six months, seven months ago, eight months ago, I'm horrible and tired. Uh, when we went back a couple of years ago, we put her through school because she wants to do what dad does. And we put her through and it happens she's very good. So she now, well, she opened and works in my Manchester office in the United Kingdom as one of my lead therapists. Well, how's that for a, a reunite story? Yeah, we and we call each other every day. And like I told you pre-show, I'm going over there in three weeks to be with her for you know nine days. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm a true believer that <clears throat> no matter what you go through, it can be healed if you approach professionals uh, to get it healed. Because everybody asks me all the time after all my experience and all my study and research is what's the gateway drug, Rob? Is it marijuana? Is it heroin? And I go, no, it's trauma. Everybody has trauma. And alcoholics always have trauma. And defining that trauma is the key to success. You know, I mean, people think, well, people say this all the time. Uh, well, I've never been in an accident or air crash or sunk in a liner. No. Your mum or dad telling you that you're not good enough to go to college like your brother mm -hmm. and they're not spending the money on you because they know you're going to fail mm -hmm. is deep, deep trauma. Yes, it is. And unless you sort that out in your adult life, it will ruin you. Because just before you go for that house, that car, that job, that girl, you know what your brain, subconscious brain is going to tell you? You know, waste of time. Why are you trying? Every single time. Yeah, anyone ever wondered out there why the girl, the same girl, attracts that guy who beats her and who's an alcoholic and treats her horrible? Nobody even asked that question. Girls ask it all the time. Rob, why am I doing this? Because what do you want my dad do? Well, my dad, you... Oh... Exactly. We repeat what we're taught as youngsters and we keep that. So if we think it's okay to have that relationship, that's the relationship we will attract. Yes. We attract what we think we are worth. And we need to get over that. You know, we are born with million dollar minds, Fred. Mm. I ask people all the time, stop hanging around 10 cent minds. Mm. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Mm. If you're earning right now 40 grand a year, but you want to earn 60, Hang around the guys that earn 60. Don't stay with the 40 granders. It's all the time looking for that group around you. I tell people that you shouldn't have any more than five friends, close friends, that you can disclose anything to. When I first came to America, Fred, I, I mixed with some guys in Dallas that were mediocre, you know, not really going to succeed. And I said, hey, guys, I'm thinking of writing a book. One laughed at me. The other one said, you're not an author. Don't be stupid. And a third one said, well, that's just too much hard work. So I never wrote a book for it. Two years ago, three years ago, I came to San Antonio. I picked a better crowd around me. And about two years ago, I said, hey, guys, I'm thinking of writing a book. And this was the reply. What? We thought you'd already written books. Man, I would buy that book. So I wrote the book called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. The last thing my daughter said to me. So it's the guys you hang around. It's very, very important. Yes. I love that. I love that. And Dr. Kelly, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something that I've talked about several times uh, with with previous guests on this podcast. You talk about, you know, some some of the voices and uh, you know the, the friends we have. I call them your inner circle, right? Being careful who you 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 let in your inner circle. Dr. Kelly, there there are so many people who uh, are going through you know hell right now, not necessarily with alcoholism, but maybe it's a failure, it's a business or whatever, and and they've bought into the <coughs> idea that this is it. They've resigned themselves to the fact that this is it. I'm never going to be able to come out of this, whether it's something that happened with a pandemic. And, and we're still dealing with this. And not, not to make light of that at all. 
you, you share a very powerful and you, 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 it's emotional. I'm just having goosebumps here, you know, hearing you talk about your daughter and now she's your lead therapist. This is a happy ending. And for a lot of people, I, I dare say, who go through something like this, that they give up. You know, I've tasted it, I've made the money, now I'm homeless. This is it, right? And, and I wonder how many people, Dr. Kelly, not to make light of homeless people, but I wonder how many people are living that that life just because they've given up on, on life altogether, just because they feel like this is the end of it. I might as well just, 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 just give up. I wonder how many people can turn their lives around if they can have a little hope and belief and, and maybe just a just a different group of people, friends, just to encourage them to say, hey, you, you, you got this, right? And I want you to address that because this is part, and this is really what this podcast is all about, Dr. Kelly, just challenging some of those mindsets and paradigms mm-hmm. that, that, that keep us down. And, and if there's anything more powerful, uh, it couldn't really be any powerful than, than what you're saying right now. So I want us to spend a little bit of time just to address that because I, I think there are a lot of people who, who could do with that help right now in this day and age, depending on what they're going through. Well, no matter where you are, guys, I want to say that it's possible. I'm going to explain why it's possible because probably sat there going, what is he now? Sat in his big house, his big cars and everything. Listen, I've been rich and I've been poor. Money will never make you happy. So I'm coming from a place of neutrality here. Is if you're sat wherever you are and think this is your lot in life, I want to tell you something. It is not. So what we need to look at is your situation and how you can better yourself on a daily basis. Because if you're sat there thinking, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I never amount to anything. First of all, I want to apologize to you guys because somebody's put that there. Mm. This is not how we're born. So no matter how dire the situation, there is a way out. I've proven it. My 7,000 patients have proven it. You know, it's 100% success if you go about it the right way. Mindset is everything. Mm. So I, I was pretty happy on the streets when I was on the streets, but I always wanted better. And you do too. Don't tell me you're happy where you are if you're not living your best life. You should be. Okay, quantum physics. Let's get down to basic science. Quantum physics say, let's say on a basketball, for instance, basketball court. It tells me I can be 25 places at the same time on that court because nothing is really solid if you look at the science. So I go, huh, where do I want to be? Easy. I want to be over near the goal. But when I get the ball, I'm just going to slam it in the net and be the hero of the game. How do I do that? Listen carefully, guys. How do I do that? I walk over and I take that position. Period. What you visualize in your head, you can hold in your hand. That's the bottom line. If you have a spiritual path, if you have a mind that can visualize stuff, it will come true. It will come true, guys, you know, but everyone everyone sits there, well, this is my lot in life. You know, if that was my lot in life, I'd be dead by now. 3% or 2% of people on the streets in Manchester come off the streets. 97, 98% of people die on the streets. What if I would have given up? So listen to this crazy piece of information. This is not about you. This is about the hundreds of thousands with the ripple effect of people that's waiting to hear your story that's waiting to be inspired and motivated by your story. Because at the end of the day, we're empowered. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not empowered. You just need to find your niche. That's all you need to do. And follow your dreams. You know, there's a a famous comedian that, that does, Jim Carrey. And he talks about his dad being, I think he's an attorney or something. 
uh, or less than I don't know. But he's fading the same job all the time. And he had a chance to go on the road and become a famous comedian. He turned it down for the safer option of the nine to five job. Eight or nine months later, he was fired from that job because they closed the place down. So you might as well get fired from a job you hate than take a chance on a job that you love. Because I went to bed last night, Fred. I was 19 years old. I got up this morning and I am 60 years old. That's how fast life goes. We get one shot at that. Let me bring some more realization into that. The Bible says three scores and 10. Okay, so that's 70 years old. I've got 10 summers left. Now what are you going to do with your life? Wow, that's just changed everything. Now I'm going to start living the dream instead of dreaming of living. Because that's what I did on the streets. I was always dreaming of this living life that was awesome. Go out and get it. I, 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 I dare you to do that. Because the only person stopping you from succeeding is you. And the only thing stopping you from succeeding internally is your mind from our past when our parents. Remember that playing football in the, in the, in the street, guys? Remember the, the, the kids you were hanging around? What do you want to be, Johnny? I want to be a fireman. Mm-hmm. What about you, uh, Jane? I want to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. What happened to them dreams? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. Your family and friends kicked it out of you. Yes. That's what happened. End of story. You need to get them dreams back. You need to get that inspiration back. It's not about you. Stop being selfish. Everyone's listening to this podcast is listening for a reason. If you think that me and Fred knew each other and just come on and we're all happy. No, this was put together by a third party. That's right. And I'm very particular which podcast I go and I get to do that today. They don't. I don't want to be in lots of podcasts. But there's, there's something happening on this podcast right now and you're listening to it for a reason. Absolutely. And that means that you can be empowered. You can motivate not only yourself, but other people. It's time to change, people. It's time to change. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it, Dr. Kelly. One last question as we as we wrap this up. There's a question I love to ask my guests. And, and I ask not necessarily um, because of what they're saying, but I ask because I think it adds a lot of powerful perspectives um, to the story that they're telling. And it's a simply this, what, what defines you? And I ask this question because you, you've been there, you've, you've seen, you've been through the journey, right? And so I think it's important for, for our listeners to hear if there is one thing that defines you or that has defined you or that defining moment throughout this journey of life, what would that be? I think to motivate people is mm-hmm. all I've ever wanted, to lift people up like I was lifted up. To be that guy, Derek, on the streets that stopped. And I often think that God's putting people in front of me when I don't know them and they come up and say something to me. Do I, do I help them? Always. Because that might be the person that he sent me. And I go, well, I've not got time for you. So I have to be true to myself. There's a couple of things, if you don't mind. I have to be true to myself because <clears throat> when you're coming off the television set at Paramount Studios in L.A. after an 18 million viewer show and you're jumping on uh, the chauffeur and back to the airport and you get in a private jet back home, it's very easy to lose myself. Mm. But I surround myself with people who keeps me true. You know, if anybody's had money out there, you'll know this. It doesn't make you happy. Mm. You know, it pays the bills maybe, but I know the richest people in the world are miserable sometimes, the people I've worked with anyway. So just be true to yourself and always motivate people. And hey, do you know something? Do you know how to make somebody's day and get free drugs? <laughs> Listen to this. Compliment somebody every day. 
You know, it happens when we compliment or we say thank you. Dopamine is released into my brain free of charge. I quite like that. So when you thank somebody, you can change their whole day. Hey, man, nice shoes. You change that guy because that guy watching. If you're in an elevator or, or a store, compliment them on the shoes. Then watch them walk away. They'll look down at the shoes and go. And they'll have a little bit of a skip in the step. Yes. You've done that. Yes. It's as easy as that, you know. You don't need money to inspire, inspire people. You don't need anything to inspire people, but just a true heart. That you will get paid back in full and then some. Let me tell you real quick. There was a girl that needed money because we give, a, I don't know, $200,000 away last this year to, to causes because I have to give, you know, part of my, my, my earnings away. And with Owen and Aaron, it was five grand. It was a lot of money paid. would pay all the debt off to pay for an apartment for 12 months because she was fighting to get her kids back because she lost them through her addiction. So we paid it. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we said, well, don't worry. It'll, it'll come back to us. The t- next day, Fred, I walked to our mailbox. I opened it. Without any knowledge of ours, we got a bunch of money back, thousands of dollars back from the uh, inland revenue. The IRS sent us uh, back that, all that money. So you'll never go broke by giving away. Wow. Truer words have never been spoken, Dr. Kelly. What an inspiring, what an inspiring, what an inspiring story. How can our listeners get in touch? If they want to learn more about you or the work you do, maybe you know, need some resources, need to, what's it, is a website you can share? Yeah, first of all, it's robkelly.com. I spell my name with two Bs, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com is the first trip. Put Dr. Rob Kelly into any search engine or come up there on all the pages. Jump onto Amazon or go into Walmart to buy the book. And let me tell you, you know, you often hear authors go, well, all the pro, all the profits or proceeds, what did he say? No, all the profits go to charity. What they mean is after you've taken all the stuff out themselves for everything, then the $2 profit will go to charity. All the money spent on that book, we do not see a penny. It goes back into the community uh, for all these people that need it. So if you buy the book, it's $9, buy it, you're giving back to other people. And if you don't like it, send me an email and I'll refund your money. But most importantly, <clears throat> I want to do this. Because now and again, I get a podcast like this where I can feel the energy. I can feel yes. what a great yes. man you are, Fred. I can feel that your heart's in this. If you're sat at home, guys, and you're going, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm going to match anything. Let me give you a pet talk <clears throat> for five or ten minutes. That will change your life. So here, I think I'm crazy. Here's my cell phone number. It's 214-600-0210. That's 214-600-0210. Text me first of all. It's not my assistant. It's not my secretary or front desk. That's my personal cell phone number. I would rather give you a 10-minute pep talk and hear every funeral. So call me. Always in the trenches. Call me or text me first so I can make myself free. And we'll have a chat that will save your life. And if you're listening to this, never once has any guests on, the, on this podcast giving their personal phone number to you. And, and this is how powerful this is, uh, listeners and viewers. I, and this is why I'm excited. This is why I love what I do. And I've said it before. I said it before we started. We don't monetize this podcast. We don't get paid. I don't get paid. This is purely for the benefit of you to help challenge the paradigms and mindsets. <laughs> that hold you back. So if you're listening to this podcast and you 
this has blessed you. Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you know someone who is dealing with it. Maybe you're dealing with, with something. I do trust that you're finding something substantial, great value really out of this. And if you do, all we ask is to visit our iTunes page, drop us a comment, subscribe. Let us know how impactful this podcast has been to you. For me, that is the greatest payday I can ever have uh, because I, I thrive on those comments and those help of us other people as well. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for coming and sharing this powerful story, for opening up one thing uh, out of many, uh, and I, I made some notes. Mindset is everything. What you visualize in your head, you can hold in your hand. And be careful who you let into your inner cycle. I trust you've been blessed by, by this, Dr. Kelly. Again, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your inspiration with our guest. And to your listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, stay well.